We are in uh, the book of Matthew. Um, we have been for 18 weeks. This is the 19th week. And I just want to like, this morning I feel particularly inadequate to the task. Not because the text itself is difficult. It's not. Um, it's stories about Jesus. They're easy to understand. What's hard is the reason Matthew is telling these stories is to build your faith in the authority of Christ and in his, um, in the fact that he is the Messiah, okay? So building your faith is not something I can do for you. And it's not really something you can do for you. It's something only God can do for you. We can ask him, right? And, but it's, the Holy Spirit's got to show up here. Or it's just me reading nice stories and saying nice things. Um, I think for most of us who are Christians, at least, these are familiar stories. Probably even if you're not, some of these are familiar. So I'd like to pray, if only, if only for my own inadequacy, because I want an eternal thing to happen this morning, not just for us to feel like we had a service and go home and have lunch. And, right? I want an eternal thing to happen, and if that's going to happen... Uh, there's got to be more going on here than me, okay? So can we pray for a second? God, we ask you, God, first I just confess, we all confess our inadequacy to, to, to be what you called us to be. God, our faith needs help. Every day it needs help. Every minute it needs help. So we ask you now, God, we want to be eternally transformed in this moment right now. And God, so we ask you, by your spirit, would you change us and stir our faith this morning that we would see Jesus in a new way. That we would see him not as a distant historical figure or even a distant present figure, but someone who is in us and wants to work through us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So um, last week we talked about one of the purposes of Jesus doing all these miracles was to demonstrate his authority and now we're going to see a second reason this morning, okay? Um, and that we can see that in Matthew 8, 14 to 17, where it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And verse 17 says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, quoting, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Okay, that's a quote from a messianic prophecy from Isaiah 53, verse 4. We see at the end when John the Baptist comes and asks Jesus and he referenced Matthew, or Jesus references that same scripture to John the Baptist, which is where we're going to end up. At the end. So another reason Jesus is performing these miracles, and Matthew is recording them for us here, is to show, to demonstrate very specifically that he is the Messiah. He's not just a dude with superpowers. He's not, I mean, think about if you lived at this time, and you, or even now, if you just heard about some guy just walking around town, like raising the dead and touching people and healing the sick. And sometimes he heals the sick and he doesn't even touch them and they're not even present. He just says a thing and that happens later in a another town far away. And you're hearing these stories. You're like, what in the world? That's amazing. It would blow your mind. You'd be like, I gotta go find, I gotta go see this guy. 
right? He'd have a crowd pretty quick, which is what happens to Jesus. Matthew wants us to know there's more going on here than cool miracles. There's a point. There's a reason Jesus is doing this. One is to demonstrate his authority. The other is to demonstrate that he's the Messiah. And of course, those are connected. So what comes next here in Matthew is a list of miracles and some other events, all demonstrating these two principles running at the same time. The authority of Jesus and Jesus as the promised Messiah. Um, and what's interesting, I'm, I'm going to do this as fast as I can, because Matthew does it quickly. If you read some of the other Gospels, there's more detail in some of these stories. It's slower. The pace is slower. It takes more time. Matthew's doing this like quick, like quick fire thing of like story after story after story. And there's a, because there's a point, he's driving home a point. Okay. Um, and so I'm going to do the same thing. I listed them here in the notes. By the way, if you don't, if you want the notes, there's some printed back there and they're, they're online in the description of the video. You can click on it if you're online. Jesus calms the storm, the garrison demoniac, which I'm going to do as a standalone sermon because demons and demon possession, that whole thing, like they had a real context for this culturally at the time. So Matthew could just say that story and then go to the next one. I feel like it's a can of worms for us or for some of us. And so I'm going to like hold that whole topic and for its own sermon. All right. So that's, I'm going to kind of skip over that. Not because I'm avoiding it, but because I just want to save it. Okay. Um, Jesus healing the paralytic, his calling of Matthew, which I think Matthew would say is a demonstration of his authority. Um, not just a random event squeezed in in the middle of the miracles. Um, a girl raised from the dead, the one with the issue of blood, two blind men, and a man unable to speak. All those, we're going to hit most of those this morning. So I want to just follow Matthew's goal, which is to build your faith that Jesus really has all authority and he really is the Messiah. That's the point. You see why we need the Holy Spirit, right? He's got to do something in your heart and in mine. All right, so let's start with the first one, Jesus calming the storm, Matthew 8, 23 to 27. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep, which is my favorite. Man, what a sleeper. So calm. Verse 25, and they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. I mean, are you ever perishing if the creator of the universe is in the boat with you? Verse 26, and he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, here's the point, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He has power even over nature itself. So it's not just this storm, it's every storm. Every, like, we just had a storm. I wrote these notes before we had the whole tornado thing this week. And I said, think about the last time you were in a bad storm where there was a hurricane or a tornado. Were you afraid? If you were, why? Like, think about it for a second. It's not a small thing. Why were you afraid? Did you, did you, did you it's because you forgot who was in the storm with you and the authority that he has. You shouldn't be afraid of storms. 
And don't be stupid and run out, you know, like those people do. Surf on the waves during hurricanes and don't tempt God, right? <laughs> However, fear of a storm, that's just one example, is kind of silly when you have Jesus in the, in the boat with you. If he's asleep, you should be asleep too. Maybe they should have just crawled up next to Jesus and taken a nap and just chilled. If he's sleeping, I can sleep, right? So the point is Jesus has an amazing amount of authority even over nature itself and these powerful storms. Jesus heals a paralytic, the next story. Matthew 9, 1 through 8. He says, getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Isn't that interesting? Now, I don't know if, if that, there's a lot of debate over what that means. Does that mean that maybe he was paralyzed because of his sin or what? But I think Jesus is just showing off. He's just showing his authority. Because what, how, does it take more authority to forgive sins or to just heal somebody's body? I'd say sins by a long shot. Verse 3, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, right, kind of muttering to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But... You may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. He did as he was told. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God, which had given such authority to men. There it is again. Matthew keeps making it obvious for you, in case you're slow like me, what the point is. Jesus not only forgives sin, now, if I said to you, I have forgiven your sins, that would be blasphemy and those scribes would be right. But if he's the Messiah, if he is the God-man, then him saying, I forgive your sins, is a demonstration of his authority. So Jesus not only has authority to heal the body, but he also has the greater authority to forgive sins. I would say that is the greatest example of his authority. Even more so than stopping a storm it's forgiving your sins. Matthew 9, 9. This is Jesus calling Matthew. It says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. This is the author of the Gospel of Matthew. He's telling you, Jesus like told me, the guy with all his authority, the guy to stop the wind and the waves, the guy to do all these things just with his voice, when he says to me, follow me, what does Matthew do? Yes, sir, I will follow you. You ever wonder, like, how is it that these guys could just stop what they were doing, drop everything, leave home and just follow Jesus? It's just because he said so. I mean, it, I, think, I really think that's Matthew's perspective. I think that's why he puts it here and not at the beginning of the book somewhere or He just did it because Jesus has the authority to tell him and he recognized it in that moment. And he said, yes, sir, let's go. He didn't say, where are we going? Let me know. Give me the itinerary first. What's it going to cost me? Who's on the, who else has said yes to your invitation? Are they cool people that I want to hang with? What's the guest list? What's the destination? 
how are you going to pay for this? Are you going to put us up in a hotel? How is that going to work? Who's driving, right? He just said, yes, why? Because Jesus has the authority to tell him what to do, and he has to do it. Matthew 9, 18 through 26. This one ought to blow our minds. While he was seeing these things, or excuse me, saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Imagine that. The desperation. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman. So there's two things happening here. Jesus is on the way to see the dead girl. And on the way, this other thing happens, okay? Um, verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she had said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, sort of a funeral thing, right? He said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. That's Jesus' way of saying, death is not permanent. <laughs> or it doesn't have to be. For Jesus, is as easy as waking somebody up from a sleep. Think about that. For us, death seems so just unstoppable. It's inevitable. We all, everybody dies. Like two, two things are guaranteed, death and taxes, right? <laughs> you, everybody dies. Nobody gets out alive. We have all these sayings, right? That, that, that because death is this one thing nobody can seem to beat. We're trying real hard. Injecting ourselves with all sorts of things. By the time, you know, some people get to their deathbed, they're just made of silicone and plastic in an attempt to stave off death a little longer or to at least look like they're not dying. But here Jesus effortlessly, like waking up somebody who's asleep on your couch. Hey, wake up. That easy. Right up. Note that the ruler had less faith in Jesus than the centurion did earlier, but he still believed Jesus had the authority to heal, and Jesus responded. Oh, ye of little faith. At least you still have it, right? The sick woman, which is the woman with the issue of blood, we find in Luke, this more expanded version of that story, is healed by barely touching Jesus at all simply affirming that she believes that he has the power and the authority to do it. With both of these stories, Matthew's focusing on the authority of Jesus as the Messiah, not so much the faith of the people, which is really cool. This is very important for us to see. This, I talked about this last week, so I'm not going to talk about it a lot this morning. If you missed last week, just go listen to it. But it's not about the strength or the, the power of your own faith or the amount of faith you have or the quality of your faith. It's who your faith is in. What about the two blind men? Matthew 9, 27 to 31. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. 
And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? There it is again. They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went and spread his fame through all the district. I think one of the reasons Jesus would tell people, don't go tell people about this, is he was trying not to build a crowd. He didn't trust it. It's one of the themes of the book of John, is Jesus getting away, trying to escape the crowds constantly, or if he couldn't escape them, offend enough of them to whittle down the crowd and to weed out the people who were just interested in a good show. Just wanted, whose faith was just based on miracles and not based on him. He was always kind of doing that working. And so he would say, don't, don't go tell people, I don't need a bunch of reporters coming up, right? I don't need a bunch of hanger-oners coming who don't actually want me. They just want to see a show. Look at his question. What does Jesus want to know? How does Jesus define faith? He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? What do you believe about me? Who do you think I am? Who do, like Jesus would ask his disciples, who do people say I am and who do you think I am? That's what he's interested in from you. That's the faith question. Another one, Matthew 9, 32 to 34. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never has anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. See the cynicism? <laughs> There's two responses. Because the point of this is that Jesus had authority even over demons. The point is not whether or not muteness is a result of demons, or it always is, or sometimes is, and all that. The point here is that Jesus had authority to easily even cast out a demon, and they had to obey him. And so we can look at these things, and I think respond one of two ways. We can say, wow, he must be the Christ. How much authority does he have? Where does it end? Dead people, storms, paralytics, people who have died far away. <laughs> you know, to be like, where does it end? Or we can say, ah, we can throw some cynical thing at it like these Pharisees did. Oh, he's just, he's throwing out demons. He's actually, he's, his authority comes from Satan, in other words, the prince of demons, which is silly. Jesus would say, a house divided cannot stand. That was the answer to that accusation. Satan can't cast himself out. Of course, we'll come back to demonology in a couple of weeks. So if you're like, wait a minute, this is freaking me out. Don't worry. It'll get better and more freaky all at the same time. All right. But I, I do plan on helping you with that. Matthew 11, 2 to 6. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, okay, just John the Baptist, okay? So remember back to the beginning of Matthew some 18, 19 weeks ago. More than that because we skipped some. John the Baptist starts his ministry. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he's like a bridge over into the New Testament to Jesus. He starts this ministry preaching out in the desert like a crazy man, preaching judgment 
saying, look, if you, you Jews think that just because you're a son or a daughter of Abraham that you're in, and God says, no, you have to be righteous. You actually have to be righteous. And he says, this is not, you need to be baptized and you need to obey God. And if you don't, he's going to judge you. He's preaching this, this very intense message, eating locusts, wearing crazy outfits, right? He builds a following. Jesus comes along and John hands over his ministry basically to Jesus and recedes. And Jesus goes off and starts his ministry. And what's happening behind the scenes with John that you don't really see in Matthew is John gets into some trouble. And he lands himself in prison, which we know eventually is going to end up with him losing his head. Like literally losing his head. And dying because he called out the powers that be for their sinful ways. And so John is in prison. It's not a good time for John. It's just not, I mean, imagine like if you made this great sacrifice, turned your ministry over to somebody else, and what you get for it is prison time. And then you start hearing stories about what that guy's doing, and it doesn't meet your expectations of what you thought he would be. Now, he doesn't say here exactly what that miss was, what that missed expectation was. Probably it was because Jesus wasn't preaching as much judgment as John the Baptist would have liked. He's, he's hanging out with some sketchy characters. You know, people that if you saw me hanging out with, you might have some questions. Let's be honest. Heard Ben's is hanging out with some prostitutes and some drunk people. I hope, I hope that's okay. Is that okay? Right? That's kind of what's happening with Jesus. And he's calling some people to be on his ministry team that are sort of sketchy. I mean, it's not just who he's eating dinner with. He's got a tax collector on his team. He's got some uneducated fishermen on his team. Like, it's just not, he's not hearing good things in prison. And so John sends, he's going to send some people to ask Jesus, like, what's the deal? And here's, here's what happens. He said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Are you the Messiah or should we just give up on you? Like, just shoot me straight here. Like, just between me and you and my crew that I sent to ask you, should I just look somewhere else? Did I miss it? Did I blow it? Am I in prison for nothing? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed, he adds this, I love this little shot. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Little, little rebuke. It might seem harsh to you to, you know, poor John, you feel sorry for him. He's in prison, he's about to lose his head. He may not know that yet, but he's going to. <laughs> I heard a story about, um, I can't remember the guy's name right now because I didn't prepare to say the story, but um, the missionary who was recently in prison in the Middle East for a long period of time. What's his name? Brunson. Yeah. And he got released. It's a long, wonderful story. But one of the parts that he told the story about something that happened to him while he was there, because he was pretty much suicidal in prison over there. But his wife moved there temporarily so she could see him once a week 
for like an hour. And each week she would go and he would say, I don't know if I'm going to kill myself this week or not. And she would beg him not to and make him promise he wouldn't. And he would say, I promise. And so she'd come back the next week and he'd still be there. And then one week he refused to promise. And so she left like just brokenhearted. But Brunson's mom comes. And she goes to the prison to see him. And she just lays into him. Says, of course you feel this way. You're in prison. Right? That was what she said. Of course you're depressed and you want to kill yourself. You're in prison. Suck it up, son. Stop doing this to your wife and family and just be faithful to God. And he said it was like it just like gave him this like, it had to be only from his mom, right? <laughs> right? But it sort of gave him this shot of faith that really got him through the rest of his time there. Um, I feel the same vibe here with Jesus saying to John, oh, and tell him I said, blessed is he who is not offended by me. But look at Jesus' response here in verse 5. is very specific. He says, The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. These are the signs of the Messiah prophesied by Isaiah. He points to the fulfillments of those signs. You can see those in Isaiah 35, 61-1, and you can, possible allusions in 26 and 29 all throughout Isaiah, pointing to very specific prophetic promises that Isaiah promised that you'll know the Messiah by, by these signs. And Jesus has been going along doing these miracles, not just randomly, not just like whoever asks, I'm going to do it. But he, in his mind, he's been going, I'm going, to do, I'm going to do each one of these things. And Matthew's been giving you a list, checking them off one at a time, one after another, saying, now what do you have to say? So when, G, when you ask Jesus, are you the one or not? He doesn't debate with you about philosophy. What he does, he says, look what I did. And we can now add to that list, he died and he raised himself from the dead and sent his spirit as a sign of that and a seal on that. And there's John the Baptist going, I don't know, he's not who I expected. <laughs> he's not acting like I thought he'd act. He's not being the hero I thought I wanted. He's not taking the throne He's not kicking in heads and yelling at people on the street corner. He's not doing the things that I thought he would do. Instead, he's hanging out with people that I was preaching against. And he's doing things I'm not sure, don't, but then, but, but then Jesus says, wait a minute, I may not be what you expected, but I am who was prophesied. And it's you who misinterpreted who I was supposed to be. I am being who I'm supposed to be. Don't be offended by me. If you just don't get offended by me, I'll bless you. I mean, isn't that a pretty low bar of faith? Just don't be offended by me. <laughs> right? You don't even have to be like, yay, I'm so 
full of faith. No, just don't be offended by me when I don't do the things you think I should do. And I don't jump when you say jump. And I don't jump through the hoops you want me to jump through. And I don't act the way you want me to act. And I just be do my thing and expect you to join me in my thing. Just don't be offended by that. So I think one of the things for us that's a challenge when we read these stories is we start to think of Jesus as being outside, distant, maybe just historical, depending on your level of faith. But we, what we're doing there is we're removing the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and Pentecost out of the story. Because what happens between these stories and where we stand is a pretty big deal which is this Jesus we're reading about is not out there somewhere in history or even in your present. When you pray to Jesus, he's not sort of out there. Where is he? He's in your heart if you're a Christian. That's what happened at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and brought the presence of Christ and filled the church with this Jesus. This authority is hanging out in you. That's insane. Think about the authority we've been looking at. Think about the power we've been looking at. Power over the wind and the waves, over death itself, over the worst imaginable disease you can imagine. And he's living in you. You have been unified with Christ. That's what Paul said. This means that you aren't asking Jesus out there to do a miracle. If you're a Christian, you've been unified with him. And Jesus not only wants to do miracles, but he wants to do them through you. If you've ever prayed for somebody and seen an answer to that prayer, like that's what that looks like. It should blow your mind. <laughs> like what? I'm still just living on the fact that August Mullen is here. I don't know if y'all remember that, but when Chantal was pregnant with August, like it was really bad. And we prayed for him one Sunday. She was in pain. Nobody knew it. And we prayed and God healed him in her womb. He wasn't supposed to be here. So every time I see him running around, it's like, whoa! Jesus, man! Jesus did that! It's crazy town. And he used us lame-o people with zero faith, like, like, like a 0.1% faith, like the small little faith of a little faith of a little faith. Saying these weak prayers. We weren't stomping around like, I declare and I claim right now. And blah, blah, blah. One of the things I'll talk about when we talk about demons is it's not about how loud you yell. I've yelled myself hoarse before, and it's just foolishness, <laughs> you know? It's the same thing with this. So if you're not a Christian, which I would say is the main target of Matthew here, is those who were, Jesus has now gone, and these stories are being told, and Matthew is saying, this guy was for real, I was there and I saw it. I was there and I saw these things, and they were in a, they mean something more than just good stories. They are signs that he was and is the Messiah, right? 
when you get offended that Jesus isn't acting according to our expectation, he doesn't apologize. He doesn't kind of say, well, I'll meet you where, where you are and we can have a debate. All he does is say, this is who I am and declares himself to you. And he declares himself to you with his own evidence, which is his own power, his own authority, his own miracles, his own death, his own resurrection. He points to those signs he's already performed. And then he asks you a question, right? The same question he asked these people in various forms and various ways. Do you believe that I am able to do these things? Yes or no? That's the important question. If yes, then we're on the way. So I'd like to pray for us. So I think these are days when we need this kind of faith. If I could just get a mustard seed, you know, just a little bitty mustard seed of faith that Jesus has this kind of authority in my life and it is coursing through me right now. That's, that's the mustard seed. I got nothing. I got no power. I got no ability. I got, I'm not that cool. I'm not that talented. I'm not that gifted. I can't make you well. I can't heal you. I can't do any of those things. Yeah, but I know the guy who can't. And he talks to me and he listens to me. He loves me. We're friends. We're not just friends. We're brothers. We're sisters. We're in the same family. I'll call in a favor. Let's see what he'll do. Right? What if we started praying that way? Look, let's just see what Jesus will do. Can I just pray for you? Right? Can I just see what he'll do? So why don't we stand up together and I'm going to pray for that. God, we confess to you right now that um, we confess our weakness. We're not people of astounding faith. Maybe some of us are, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some of us are at that centurion level of faith. God, we confess that it's it's hard sometimes just to believe you. Especially we're not in an environment like this right now where we're sort of surrounded by people that build up our faith and are in agreement. But God, when we're out by ourselves in life doing things and we're confronted with challenges, it's so hard sometimes just to have a little bit of trust in you. So God, I ask you, just as the disciples did, they prayed for their faith. God, we don't need faith in ourselves. We've learned better. <laughs> God, we need faith in you, faith in your power and authority. God, we believe that you are the king and you're the king of all kings. We believe that you are Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. We believe that you are the son of God fully man and fully God, fully divine in every way. And you have all the divine attributes in yourself. We believe that and we trust that.
And God, we believe that you have filled your church with your presence, your spirit. And it is, he is in us and you are in us and we are in you. God, I pray that you would transform the way we pray. You would transform the way we believe and the things we ask you for. God, that you would teach us not to just reach out to our own way and our own strength and our own power every time like a, like a, like a, like a knee-jerk response to a stimulus. Just always like knee-jerking into our own strength and our own ideas and our own ability. But God, would you teach us to lean and depend on you as the king? God, I pray for miracles in this church. Not just in this church, but through us in the world. The world needs to see something real. They need to see real authority. Exercise with gentleness and grace and love. God, help us to be that in the world. God, I pray that when we see people with insurmountable problems, whether it's illnesses or fears or, or uh, any other just problem that seems to be uh, unsolvable by any other means, God, I pray that we would be the people who are able to say, hey, let's just see what Jesus will do. Can I pray for you? I just want to see what Jesus will do. God, let us be those kinds of people. Let us be that kind of church. So God, I pray that you give us a mustard seed of faith. It'd be nice to have more. <laughs> God, it really would. It'd be nice to have just um, amazing, blazing hot faith. But God, I just ask you that we would, because you said a mustard seed is enough to move mountains, to move the biggest problem, the biggest thing. So God, that's what we ask you for. Would you grant us that this morning by your spirit, every one of us? Amen. All right. Love you guys bunches. Hope you're doing great. We'll see you next week.